story before I read this, uh, or before I started to think about preaching this sermon and uh, began to uh, read the Word of God. And a story came to my mind um, of youth football. Uh, where I come from, we had what they call Pop Warner football. And um, so when you play Pop Warner football, the way that that works is um, there's an age limit, um, but it's basically done by weight. And so the way it works is they combine the age and the weight, and they put you into different categories based on your age and your weight. And so I remember... Uh, the hard part for me was the weight part. Um, and I remember uh, when I was uh, playing youth football, I didn't get to play Pop Warner the first year I was eligible, age-wise, because I was um, too skinny, right? And, um, but then, the next year, I had put on some more weight, I had grown even more, and I was the tallest kid on my Pop Warner football team. I was one of the bigger kids. Not that I was the biggest in weight, but everyone, I was really, I was a little older than all the kids that weighed the same amount as me. And I was really, really tall. And um, I remember uh, being shocked because as I joined the team, I thought I was gonna be a, a running back or you know, a quarterback or uh, something exciting, right? I thought I was going to have a really great position on the team. But lo and behold, something really bizarre happened when I came, when I started to practice. What they said was, you're too big and strong to be on this team. You're going to have to go to a different team. And all of a sudden, they put me on a team, and whose team was I on but my older brother? My older brother was three years older than me and we were gonna have to play on the same Pop Warner football team. And I was devastated, because I knew that this meant that I was going to be you know, humiliated, uh, left and right, uh, and I was no longer going to be uh, one of the more uh, 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 talented people. But, <clears throat> lo and behold, uh, something miraculous happened. They made me, believe it or not, an offensive lineman. And I played on the offensive line for popcorn football. And what I got to do was I got to put my hands in the ground and then just run as hard as I could at any, you know, whoever was in front of me, every play. And I began to learn the game of football that way. They began to uh, teach me things about, like, the, when the running back runs here and, um, my brother was the running back. And I remember sometimes I would get confused and he would push me where I needed to go. He would just get behind me and he would just push me, right? Into the guy that I was supposed to block, right? And as I grew and I got bigger and bigger, you know, the, the game became more and more understandable to me. And I began to uh, learn a lot. Um, and, and God, I believe, in a weird way, showed me something that day or those, those years about being prepared for usefulness. And tonight I want to I preach a message about being prepared to 
to be useful. That God actually can, can prepare you um, through all types of circumstances to be useful. To be truly useful. So let's look at this scripture. It's a very um, uh, uh, sort of famous scripture in the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And we're going to read this scripture together and believe God for us tonight. It says, As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are this day. Let's pray. Lord Father God, I ask you tonight to prepare our hearts and to prepare our souls and our minds, Lord, that you would wash over us with the blood of Jesus Christ and, and that you would make us useful vessels that can do your will. Lord, I pray tonight that this message is received. And Lord, I pray that I do not stumble over my own words, Lord, but that, Lord, you use my voice to preach a message that will help and do good. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this for our congregation. And we pray this for each and every soul here tonight. That you would prepare vessels that would do your will throughout this city and throughout the nations. And everyone said, Amen. <clears throat> See, the truth is that the Bible is crystal clear about one thing. God is our creator. And God has plans for our lives. He takes personal ownership of each and every one of us. I believe he does that uh, ultimately through the death of Jesus Christ. He, there's no one that's going to go to heaven and they're going to say, but God, you didn't do this for me. Or you didn't do that for me. I was unprepared. I don't believe in that. And the Bible says that none of us are going to stand before God and be able to act that way. So why is that? I mean, sure we can make that statement. But what is it about the Word of God that, that lends this, this idea to us? Well, first of all, I think that if each and every one of us are, are honest with ourselves and we thought about it just between us, there are things that God wants you to do. There are things that He wants us to do. And, and if we were deep down and we thought deep down into our souls, there's been times where God has made it crystal clear that the impact that we could make Maybe it's by a parent who looked at you when you were a child and said, boy, you're special. Or maybe it's by a teacher who saw a gift in you at a young age. Or maybe it's simply by a feeling inside of us that we know when we, we know it's, it gets on us. We just, we just know when we're around people that there's, there's things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. See, Moses was chosen to set some people free, wasn't he? He was chosen by God. 
in the Bible. He was chosen to save some people, wasn't he? It's crystal clear. You know, even though he was enough of that. I mean, who tells your brothers, hey, I'm the most important person in the family? I mean, that is just the dumbest thing. I mean, I know we like to lift up Joseph and everything, but he was kind of the, the dodo. You know what I mean? He was kind of dumb. You know what I mean? And if you don't believe me, even at the end of his life, you know, he tries to do the old switcheroo with his dad, you know? His dad's about to bless his sons, you know? And he's like, you know, no, dad, let me switch your hands, you know? His dad said, no, Joseph. We're talking about God here. And there's times in our lives where we have to realize that our purpose doesn't always mean that we're ready for our purpose. You know, just because you have a purpose, it doesn't mean that you're ready for it. You know? There's this reality about every single one of us. I think if we're honest, we lack things, don't we? I lack things. I, I gotta be honest with you. It's, it's really, really difficult sometimes to, to come up here and, and put on the pastor face and stand before you. You know? Because I, I know deep down there's things that I lack. You know? I mean, one of the things that I've been working on, you know, my whole life is I'm a little bouncy. Have you noticed? I kind of bounce a little bit, you know? So I, I try to, you know, when I was a kid, I used to walk like this, you know? I didn't know there was anything wrong with it, you know? Until somebody was like, hey, you know you walk like this? I was like, everybody doesn't walk like this? No, I had no idea why everyone, you know, was like that in my vision, you know? But I just walked that way. And the truth is, it's important for us to understand what we lack. Because sometimes we can try out of our lack, and what happens is things go really awry. There are things inside of us that shouldn't be there, for instance. You know, the Bible says that we're all born to sin. Means that there's things inside of us that, that shouldn't be there. I mean, as much as we don't want to admit it, we, we kind of realize it. But if we didn't realize it when we were kids, we certainly realize it when we have kids, don't we? And we start to see the glaring errors in our kids, right, that we have. And we're like, you know, backstage, you know, <laughs> what is this? You know, your kid's just acting like you. And you're like, well, I never. Right? I mean, that's like the, the good old story that my uh, I had with my wife. I hope, well, I've gone too far already. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When my son learned the word booty, you know? And I said, how did my son? I said, which kid taught me? My son, that word, you know? And then she said, well, I kind of, I shouldn't do this for so long, you know. I said, oh, oh, okay. So, you know, oops, right? Right? Now, I don't mean to be, you know, cavalier here. But I, I want to tell you, there's more serious things than even that. 
You know? And the truth is that God must prepare us. You know, sometimes we're just immature. You know, some of you young people, you know, you take it personally, but you're just immature. And you have to realize that there's a certain level of maturity if you're ever going to do something special for God. There's a certain level of maturity if you're ever going to have a responsible job or provide for a family or get married or graduate college. There's a certain level of maturity as a parent that you have to have. Some parents are just, they're just flat out immature. They just think everything is a joke. Everything is so cute. Oh, little Neil. My little Neil. He's so cute. Right? And they need to mature as parents. They need to grow as people. And God must do this. He must prepare us. And it's an interesting thing. You know, I want to read a little bit from the Bible. Uh, because many, many of you may not, may not recognize this or know this about Moses. But Moses spent a lot of time not doing the will of God. But being prepared to do the will of God. Matter of fact, just as much of his life he did serving God, he probably spent being prepared to serve God. I want you to think about that. It says in Exodus chapter 2, and when they came to Reuel, Jethro, their father, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us from the shepherds. Also, he drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses the poor of his daughter. And she bore a son, and he called his name Gershom, which means expulsion or a stranger there. For he said, I have been a stranger and a sojourner in a foreign land. However, after a long time, nearly 40 years, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites were sighing and groaning because of the bondage. They kept crying, and their cry, because of slavery, ascended to God. And God heard their sighing and groaning, and earnestly remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites and took knowledge of them and concerned himself about them, knowing all, understanding, and remembering all. God remembers everything, and he understands everything. And he sees things that we don't see. And when I read this, I was so impacted because I started to think about my ministry. I started to think about my life, and I started to think about my 40 years. Where was I in my 40 years when I was content? When I was content in sin. Remember, Moses killed a man and then fleed his people, who he knew he was there to serve. Moses, he failed, and he ran away. And then he was content with that. That's something to think about. Because we can fail, and then we can run away, and we can be content with that. It's like when you get a, a bad grade in school, and then you tell yourself, oh, I'm not good at that. I'm just going to switch classes. 
I'm just going to get another major. You know, you know that's what that's what will happen when you go to college. You'll end up with six majors and no degree. If you don't learn in high school to press through. I mean, I don't mean I, I know now you're mad with that. I'm just I don't know any details. I just know that guys, you got to always try to give 110 percent, and then and then and only then will you really know the truth. But see, we can be content in things. But the thing is, God hears the cries, He hears the prayers, and they're always um, something that He responds to, and they're always something that He remembers. See, I was thinking about my life personally, and, and you know, my mother is a cryer. My mother it would have been a great job if she just went out in the middle of the city every day and cried out to all the people. She would have been really good at that. I mean, my mom is a crier. She's tough, don't get me wrong. She came up from a bootstrap. She grew up dirt poor. You know, left home when she was 14 years old. She has a nice life for herself. She built a nice life. But she had tears. She cried and cried and cried. And I found out years later that a lot of those tears were over me and over her family, over her children. Now I knew that intellectually. But God began to reveal to me as I got saved that, you know, my life matters. What I do with my life matters. And, and it's not, he's not just saving me because, you know, oh, he wants me to be forgiven of my sins. He's saving me because other people have cried out for the loss. And I know for a fact that my mother cried out for me. Even in her own sin. You know, the Israelites, it doesn't say that the Israelites were perfect or without blemish. They were in slavery for a reason. They were in bondage for a reason. There were sins that were involved with their bondage. We would find out later, right, that they weren't the perfect uh, flock of, of, of sheep, right? They weren't all so easy to lead. But God still heard their cries. Because he hears all the cries of unrighteousness. See, God had to do work to put things in to, to Moses and to take things out of Moses. He had to do a lot of work. And preparing you is something that is God's will. You know, he's preparing you tonight for something. You know, we're, we're, as the Bible says, crafted arrows. It says in the Bible, he made me into a polished arrow and hides us from God's purposes. I mean, I'm sorry, and hides us for God's purposes. You know, that's sort of what Moses was, right? He was like hidden from the Egyptian Pharaoh. Right? He was hidden from him. And he, and, and, and he was content in that. But God was just polishing him and hiding him for the right time, for the right place. See, sometimes we can recognize God's plan for our lives, but God still must prepare us. And we're prepared by events. We're prepared by things that happen. Sometimes in life you don't have any control over things. There's no control. 
just want you to, I want to get that out of the way. A lot of you have stopped serving God at some level in your heart because of things that are out of your control. I want to tell you, when you look at the Bible, there's many men who had lives that were painful and traumatic. Moses is one of them. You know, Moses never knew his mother. Never knew his father. He called his first kid stranger. I mean, he had some trauma. You know, some of us, are, you know, we forget some of the names we named our kids. You know, we named them young, you know. But, you know, he's, this is a traumatic life that he lived. And, and you know, the, 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 my favorite song, my, my mom, I'll be honest with you, my mom, she was, she, you know, she was a broken lady. She left me at a young age because she couldn't take, take me with her. You know, I didn't understand that at that age. I couldn't understand that. But my dad had more, you know. He had more, and so he was able to keep the kids. And when I, my mom left, you know, believe it or not, as profound as this may seem, she was a backslider, she was, she was a drunk, she was suicidal. You know what book she put in my hand? She put the book, The Lord is My Shepherd, in my hand with a little picture of David and a little sheep. Psalm 23. And I used to read that every single day when she left. And I would read that, and I want to be honest with you, at times I threw it to the ground and I said, you know, no more of that. There were times where it didn't bring me comfort like it should have. But the truth is that now I stand here before you telling you that I can learn a deep lesson from that. Because that prepared me. See, the Bible says in Psalm 23, verse 4, Yes, though I walk through the deep, sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or dread no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect me and your staff to guide me. They comfort me. See, those aren't just words to your pastor tonight. That's the spirit of the living God. And he is here tonight for each and every one of us. And he wants to tell you something. He has a rod and a staff. And though you walk through something very, very difficult, or you have walked through very, very difficult times, times that were full of fear, full of dread, he will make sure that no evil comes upon those children of his. See, nothing is wasted by God. Wow, when I think about what I know now, compared to what I knew then, when I think about that, just learning to trust God, learning to be prepared by failures that I've had in my life. I mean, deep failures, horrible failures. See, failure, it, it lends yourself, it lends to uh, an attitude or a, a thought process that's impulsive. You know, that's what failure, failure does. It, it leads to this impulsive nature that we have. You know, we do something, we think we're going to succeed, we fail, and 
then we go, oh man, see, I, I knew it, it was going to come. And we start to get even more impulsive. We start to think about the consequences of our failure. We become afraid, we become ashamed, we become separated. We think things like, failure disqualifies me. But I want to tell you, failure can have positive and possibly beneficial benefits for others and for you. Because one thing about someone who has truly failed is that they have been humbled. And if you truly fail and you've been humbled, then God can use you. And God will. If you'll keep that humble spirit. If you'll push away the pride. And humble yourself. You know, Moses was like that. He, he was the prince of Egypt. He was pretty cool. You know, I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty cool title. You know? Prince of Egypt. You know? I mean, I would take it today, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, the, our pastor yeah, is the Prince of Egypt, too. Wouldn't you? would like that, wouldn't you? Right? Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's our pastor, but he's also a Prince of Egypt. Yeah. That would be cool, wouldn't it? I'd probably be able to fight better, you know? Probably be a lot of things about me that are cooler. Right? But see, God's not into that. You know, God's into producing humility. God's into doing things like producing compassion for people. You know, when I think about my childhood, I don't get angry anymore. You know, I, I get more compassionate. I get more thoughtful. Because I know who my God is. I know how he humbled himself. See, I read about this guy. He's a hostage negotiator. I don't know if you ever heard of him. His name is Jack Cambria. I think he was a lieutenant. And he was um, this really, really effective uh, hostage negotiator. He, he was, uh, you know, he's well known. And I, I think people even today, you know, they pay thousands of dollars to hear him speak. And uh, he's, he's an amazing, amazing man. And, uh, you know, he had dozens of years on the police force. And, uh, you know, he says about negotiators, he says this. To be a successful negotiator, besides having dozens of years in the police force and over a hundred hours of training, the person must experience the emotion of love at one point in their life. Matter of fact, he says, to know what it means to have been hurt in love at one point in their life is the key to know success and perhaps most important, to know what it means to know failure. He says those are the greatest hostage negotiators. And it's because, you know, anyone who takes a hostage, I don't, I don't need to be controversial here, but if you've taken a hostage in your life, you're a sinner. You know, you never, so that, that's pretty much you, you qualify as a bad person. You are a sinner. You know? I mean, I don't even care if it's like an animal. You know, no matter what it is, you know, I got 12 cats in here, buddy, you better stay out! And, you know, that would have been my kind of thing, you know what I mean? I would have, I would have went to a cat farm or something and took it over. But, uh, you know, no matter what you are, you know, that's, those are bad people. 
take hostages. They're, they're, they're really immensely and deeply troubled and in sin. And what he's trying to say is these negotiators, if they're going to negotiate with someone like that, they have to have a level of love and compassion in them that is greater than most people. They can't get frustrated and just start arguing. Right? They can't just say, oh, whatever. You know? And then a bunch of people die. Right? I'm sick of talking to you, dude. You know? They can't do that. Right? And, you know, to be honest with you, I had a pastor who said, hey, before you become a pastor, you're going to read that book. No. And so I read the book. Right? And I did learn some things. You know, about talking to people. But not being the one who gives up on a conversation. See, the Bible says in Psalm 27, it says it this way. It says, though a host encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, even in this I will be confident. One thing I have asked the Lord, that will I seek and inquire for, and insistently require for, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. In his presence all the days of my life. To behold and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to meditate, consider, and inquire in his temple. See, this is someone whose attitude is like, I'm going to be with God. You know, this is every pastor's prayer. That, you know, you walk into the church and then, boom, that gets beamed into you somehow. You know? Because if that's your attitude... You know, I can, I can pray, I can, you know, preach a couple of clunkers, and you're going to still show up, you know? And people are going to come because they care about the people that are in the church. They care about God's temple. They care about souls. They care about what God cares about. And so they're going to be drawn here. They're going to, they're going to come. And it's interesting how this, you know, I, I read that scripture often, but I don't usually read the beginning of the scriptures there because, you know, pain is what produces this compassion. You know, he says these things are happening. You know, enemies are against me. You know? They'll host and camp against me. What he's talking about is someone who acted like he was his friend and then, you know, right in the back. Right? And he's saying, you know, these things have happened, but I'm still confident because my goal is to be with you, God. To be in your presence. See? You have to be prepared to serve. You know, a lot of people, they're, they're in love with being on the platform, or they're in love with, uh, you know, some great successful ministry, or they're in love with the idea of doing something successful for God. You know, they're, they're focused, they're locked into doing certain things. You know? But they don't want to raise sheep in the middle of nowhere. You know? You know, there's two sides of the Moses content thing. You know, there's the whole thing that, like, Moses was kind of content because life was easier. But there's also the, the thing that Moses was like, finally, I'm a blessing. You know, Moses was like, I, I, it's all right. I, you know, I know I was like this Egyptian guy, but I can go out in the middle of the desert and be a blessing to this family. You know, he saw an opportunity to be a blessing, and he just went for it. You know, how many people could be successful in their lives, in church? You know, if you would just come into the church and say, you know what, I can be a blessing in this little group of people here. 
I can bless these, this little group of people. You know? And God can use you, and he'll, he'll prepare you, and you never know. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he'll prepare you for something bigger than you possibly could imagine. That's what he did for me. God is no respecter of men, so I guarantee you he won't do something for me that he wouldn't do for you. No, maybe not all of you will be up here being a pastor or preaching. Maybe that's not your calling. But I guarantee you that each and one, every one of you can impact hundreds, maybe thousands for Jesus. Maybe millions. You know? See, God found a prince feeding sheep in the middle of nowhere. Think about that for a minute. You know? I really think about that sometimes because, you know, I think what God found with, you know, with me, you know, I thought being a trailer park kid who made it to, like, you know, a nationally ranked track and field athlete, I thought that was the biggest accomplishment of my life. I thought that was the biggest deal I would ever have. But when that all came crashing down and tumbling down, and I was on a street corner, and I had no hope, and I was a drug addict, and my wife was a drug addict, and I had no hope, and I came into this church, this little church, I believe that God said, you know, I found a guy who, he was a track star, and now he's just here helping the pastor back you. You know? I believe that with all my heart. Because that's the God I serve. He loves me. You know, I don't need to be rude or, or be about myself tonight. But he loves you that way. He feels that way about you. And if I fail you as a pastor, it's because you don't know that. It's because you don't feel that tonight. Because you're not thinking about it. And I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. Because Moses wasn't thinking about it. Moses was content. God knows how to find people. We have to trust God that He'll find us. If God doesn't waste anything. I said that. Remember, God doesn't waste anything. John 6 12, when they had all had enough, He said to His disciples, Gather up now the fragments, the broken pieces that are left over, so that nothing may be lost or wasted. God doesn't waste nothing. You know, that day that you were at your, your wit's end and you were all by yourself and you cried out? God doesn't waste that. God never wastes anything. See, some of us, we just go through things in life and we have to learn some lessons. Sometimes we have to learn to just stop and turn around and just turn to God. tell you tonight, you can say to God, I've learned that lesson if he's touching your heart. And make a step of obedience. You know, when Moses finally got a hold of God, well, I should say, when God finally got a hold of Moses, first thing he did was say, take off those shoes, Moses. You're on holy ground. See, tonight, each and every one of us, in one way or another, we can take off our shoes. Come to the altar and we can humbly proclaim. God, speak to me in this small thing that I am. Speak to us in this small thing that we are. And then we can listen for the next step. That's all I have tonight. I'd like
we head down and we act close. God wants to help us tonight. He loves us tonight. I want you to know tonight that nothing 